Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Eat It Up. Okay, so I'm sure from the get-go, any of you who have been listening from the start know that something is a little bit different today, and that is that I'm flying solo. If you follow us on Instagram at Eat It Up Pod, you'll know that Sam is actually acting as a stunt double for Timothy Chalamet right now. So we weren't able to post an episode last week. And then for this week's episode and next week, it'll be just myself. However, although I am alone, I am not lonely. Uh, Pebbles has decided to join me for today's episode. And so if you hear any snorts in the background or huffs, that is her. I had to delay this recording by about five minutes because I put cream on my arms and she loves to lick it. So it would just have been audio sounds of her licking my arm. So we had to, we had to wait for her to lick it all off. But anyways, welcome to today's episode. We're talking about Vlad the Impaler. To be fair, I solely chose this topic because I saw an ad, I think it was for the History Channel, and they were talking about like mysteries and they're like, the Bermuda Triangle. Vlad the Impaler. And I was like, oh, well, like, I kind of want to know a little bit more about that. So that was truly the only reason that it came into mind. And Sam really didn't seem enthusiastic to learn about Vlad. So I thought, why not do it on a week where he doesn't have to listen to me talk about it? So yeah, I think today we're going to be living out my fantasy of, I can't, like, I feel everyone does this, but I always talk to myself in the car, in the shower, like when I'm getting ready for bed at night, talk to myself in the mirror. So this is really just a version of that, but I'm actually publishing this content. So that's a new level, but I'm excited for it, ready for any feedback. However, harsh critique is never my specialty at receiving. So just be aware. So for today's snack, I decided I wanted to do something that would be reminiscent to either where Vlad the Impaler was from or kind of like the significance that he has had later on that's still like impacting us today. So Vlad the Impaler was born in Transylvania. So I was like, okay, uh, let me see if I can find any traditional Romanian desserts or even Transylvanian desserts. And so I found there's a place in Vancouver, there's a couple locations and they tend to run out of food trucks and they are called the Progery. And I was really confused at first because I was like, Prague is not in Romania. I don't get like, I was like, I thought this was a traditional dessert. Is it? I don't know. But it is. So I don't know why it's called the Progery, but on their actual website, they say that what they make, it's called a traditional chimney cake. And it's from Transylvania. That's where this dessert kind of originates. And what it is, is if you think of a churro, but probably a little bit like less crunch, similar to a donut, I would say like, churro like donut hybrid is what we're going for they make it so that it's like a cone shape and that's kind of what a chimney cake is it's think of like the shape of a chimney almost but they make it more of a cone shape and they fill it with soft serve ice cream and you can get a bunch of different flavors so the one that i chose was mango and the cool thing is is that uh the chimney cake it has like sugar all over the outside and they put like little chocolate chips at the bottom so the as the ice cream melts it doesn't just come flowing out with the mango one specifically, and I'm sure with every flavor, not only do you get like that nice sprinkling of mango syrup on the very top of your soft serve, but they also line your chimney cake with that mango syrup as well before they put the soft serve in. So we should be experiencing double the mango flavor today. And yeah, I was so excited when I found out because as soon as I found out that chimney cakes were a Transylvanian dessert, 
I was like, I know exactly the place in Vancouver that does chimney cakes. So that was a weird but super awesome bit that I had kept in my head from years ago. Proud of myself for that. Gosh, okay. I feel like we're rushing through this today. It will be a different conversation today, um, considering that most conversations actually require two people. That seems to be the definition of them. But I'm going to do my best to work it with just myself. If I can do it in the car, I don't see why I can't do it in this arena. But if it comes off incredibly awkward, do not fret. We will be back to the routine in about two weeks. And if you're new here, I would recommend that you maybe go and listen to those episodes first so you get what the actual vibe of this is before you come to this limited edition series that we're rocking. (laughs) So yeah, let's jump into Vlad. When I began researching Vlad the Impaler, I made the mistake of thinking that it would be easy. And I think that's the same problem that I encountered when I did Watergate. I was like, ah, everyone is always talking about it, easy peasy. No, 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 no. I had thought that all sources would provide me unique pieces of information to add to my notes and that this information would not constantly conflict with what I had just read. And that was wrong. I thought that it would come together as a nice puzzle and kind of what I got was a car crash that I then had to pick and choose what pieces that I thought were corroborated the most and maybe made the most sense. Thankfully, I don't think that anyone listening is going to experience outrage at this, but I just need you guys to know that the info I talk about here, I tried to piece together from several articles. And since I'm surprisingly not a 15th century Romanian historian, I really can't validate the accuracy of everything I'm talking about. I did my best, but as Sam and I said in our first episode, this really will not be useful for anything beyond interest in the subject and maybe gaining a bit more knowledge. You cannot write a paper with what I'm about to say. Just, I need you to know that. Okay, so for some little bit of background before we jump into this storyline. Vlad III, known to many as Vlad the Impaler, he was a 15th century prince or voivode from Wallachia. The way that I would think to pronounce it it would be Wallachia, but I looked it up. Apparently, the North American pronunciation is Wallachia. So just putting that out there. And according to a Romanian tourist website, Vlad was one of the most respected rulers of Wallachia, a true defender of Christianity, a great warrior, and a brilliant politician. However, as I'm sure we can guess by his name, the Impaler, he was one of the cruelest rulers in Romanian history. Vlad is best known today in the West for the drastic, horrible measures he used to achieve his political, economic, and military objectives, most of which occurred during the period of 1456 to 1462, as we'll talk about in a bit. Although Vlad was known amongst his subjects as the Impaler, They never called him that to his face, which was probably brilliant on their part. Instead, Vlad liked to go by Vlad Dracula, which translated to Son of the Dragon to embody his character as fearsome and powerful and being a leader. I think you can see where we're maybe going with that name, Vlad Dracula. You can see where we're heading. Although I do want to point out now that Dracula now in current language means devil. So when people hear Vlad Dracula, They're like, oh my God, his name was Son of the Devil. But no, at the time, Dracula meant dragon. So don't read into like that whole devil worship angle so quick. It really meant dragon, not devil. The reasoning behind this nickname that he gave himself, Vlad Dracula, was because Vlad was a member of the Order of the Dragon, which was apparently a knightly order founded by the King of Hungary in 1408. 
and the Order of the Dragon was wholly devoted towards the defeat of the Ottoman Empire. The symbol of the order was a dragon, and at that time, Dracul meant dragon, so calling himself son of the dragon wasn't really far-fetched. Vlad's father was a member of the order, and he was called Vlad Dracul. So when baby Vlad grew up, he eventually adopted a very similar name. So that's where Dracula comes from. So yeah, that's a little bit of the background. Now let's get into the details. So I just want to toss out some things to consider. Vlad has that classic thing of having the exact same name as his dad, which can kind of make the beginning of this episode a little bit confusing because we're just throwing around the name Vlad quite a bit. So Vlad the Impaler in this episode, he's going to be referred to as either Vlad the Impaler or just Vlad. His dad will be referred to as Vlad the Second. So if you hear just Vlad, know that I'm talking about the Impaler and not Vlad Sr. I also might call Vlad the Impaler baby Vlad or little Vlad when he's a kid, just so we still get that distinction. But yeah, be prepared for a lot of the word Vlad. So Vlad the Impaler, he was born in 1431 in what is now Transylvania. Although this isn't 100% agreed upon, I like the way it sounded, so we're going with it. And Transylvania is the central region of modern day Romania. So Vlad, he was the son of Vlad II Dracul, who was the voivode of Wallachia which I looked up and Voivode essentially means warlord. It kind of just, it meant that they were the leader of that region. Um, And there is some uncertainty as to who Vlad's mother was. Vlad spent the first few years of his life growing up in a Saxon town with his family. But in March 1442, when he was 11, his father, Vlad II, refused to support the Ottoman invasion of Transylvania. So as you'll remember, we talked about just a little bit ago, Vlad II was a member of the Order of the Dragon. They want to see the Ottoman Empire defeated. So due to Wallachia's location being situated between Christian Europe and the Muslim lands of the Ottoman Empire, Wallachia was often the site of bloody battles as Ottoman forces pushed westward into Europe and Christian forces repulsed the invaders. So Vlad II's refusal to support the Ottoman invasion was because he wanted to see its defeat. Due to this refusal though, Sultan Murad II, who was the ruler of the Ottoman Empire, he ordered Vlad II to come to Gallipoli for a diplomatic meeting. And so Vlad II went to Gallipoli and he took little Vlad and his other son. When they arrived there though, they were all imprisoned. By the end of 1442, Vlad II was released. So he, did, he wasn't even there a year in prison he was released. But little Vlad and his brother, they were kept as hostages to ensure that Vlad II remained loyal to the Sultan, which we all know being held as a hostage does wonders to a kid's physical and mental well-being. So we can maybe see some of the signs of that coming up. Little Vlad and his brother, while they were imprisoned, they were trained by the Ottoman Empire to become skilled warriors. Vlad and his brother, they were tutored in science, philosophy, and the arts, and Vlad also became a skilled horseman and fighter. The goal essentially was to ensure that once the two brothers took over ruling Wallachia, went out into the world, that they would be loyal to the empire and not rebel the the way that their dad had done. This little plan though, I see the thought process behind it. It actually completely backfired for Vlad uh, because he saw how his family was destroyed by the Ottomans and how cruel they were in battle. So Vlad actually became determined to rule Wallachia and destroy the Ottomans. After being held as a hostage for five years, Vlad was finally set free in 1447. 
But by this point, unfortunately, his father had been killed and his death was linked back to decisions made by some noble families and essentially adding gas to the fire because Vlad promised himself that as ruler of Wallachia, he would avenge his dad's death. So now he's been imprisoned by the Ottoman Empire for so many years and he's also missed out on the last years of his father's life because he was imprisoned. So he's really hating on the Ottomans here. So Vlad was voivode or leader of Wallachia for three separate periods. They totaled about seven years altogether. His first brief period of rule was in 1448 and this reign was short-lived. It lasted only about six months because he didn't have strong support from the nobility and he was banished from Wallachia by the previous ruler, Vladislav II. Vlad then spent the following eight years plotting his return to power. He had a taste of it, he wanted it back. So the next time he took over was in 1456, as we'll talk about in a minute. And this is the start of the longest and most significant period of his leadership of Wallachia. And this ended because he was imprisoned. There's a whole kind of story I don't get, like, I, I'm just gonna tell you he was in prison. You don't need the nitty gritty of it. Um, and finally, the third period that he was ruler was in 1476. And this one was pretty brief because he died. So that ended it pretty quick. So following um, the interruption of power after 1448, so after his first little stint, Vlad's political and military skills came to the forefront during the fall of Constantinople in 1453. So after the fall, the Ottomans were in a position to invade all of Europe. And Vlad, who had already solidified his anti-Ottoman position, was made ruler of Wallachia again in 1456. And then he ruled for about six years. One of his first orders of business in this new rule was to stop paying an annual tribute to the Ottoman Sultan. And this included the refusal to supply young Wallachian men for the Turkish army. And these measures up till then had formally ensured peace between Wallachia and the Ottomans. So by not doing so, he was kind of taking a hard stance against the Ottomans. To consolidate his power as ruler, really lock it in, Vlad knew that he needed to break the political power of Wallachia's boyars, or they were... Boyers, essentially, it translates to like nobles or aristocracy. And he needed to do this because these people tended to support puppet, often weak leaders who would only work to protect the interests of the nobility. And as you'll remember, in 1448, his first time in power, it was because of this nobility that he wasn't able to keep his leadership. That's why he lost it was because of them. So this time around, he goes, no, no, we're not making that a mistake again. Um, and Vlad viewed this system of nobility controlling the leadership as working against the development of a strong nation state. So he wanted to get rid of them. He didn't want them to have as much power. So now let's get to the interesting stuff, guys, the impaling. And I honestly, when I was reading this Romanian tourist website, they had a great statement about this. They said that this method of killing people, impaling, had an enormous impact on people's morale. And it's like, yeah, I would think so. I think that's the whole point. But so I will say that the entire reason that we're talking about Vlad is solely because of his name. If he was called Vlad the Great, I'm not sure I would have ever put him on the list to do. It was because his name is Vlad the Impaler that I was like, you know, I'm gonna have to get to know more about you. I wanna unpack what's going on there. So naturally, as I'm sure many of you could have guessed, 
Vlad got his famous nickname, the Impaler, from his preference for impaling people. It's about to get kind of gross. Mentally prepare yourself for that. But I will say, I have cut out a lot of the extra gory stuff. And there's some things I won't even talk about. You can look them up on your own. They're very disturbing. So I, I'm not going into detail on any of it. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get through it together. So supposedly, going back to that whole talk about nobility, he had to get rid of them. Vlad apparently invited 500 of these boyars and their families to a banquet. And there are kind of, I saw two accounts of what happened at this banquet. The first is that knowing the nobles would challenge his authority and knowing that he needed to silence them, he had his guests stabbed and placed their still twitching bodies on impaled spikes in order to silence them. That's one version of events. The other account is that Vlad, once again, knowing that boyars would challenge his authority, having to silence them, he had his soldiers surround the guests and marched them roughly 50 miles to the spot where they were forced to build Vlad's mountain fortress. His prisoners labored under very difficult conditions for several months, and those who survived the grueling ordeal were impaled. So either account that you get it from, the people who attend this banquet, the nobility, they were impaled. And impaling to some, not myself, uh, could be considered quite an art or skill, because there are only a couple of ways of doing it, without damaging the victim's vital organs. Essentially meaning that the victim could still live several days in great pain, writhing and twitching, and that was kind of what he wanted. It wasn't a quick death that he was going for. He was going for very torturous, slow death. So Vlad is also credited with impaling dozens of Saxon merchants in Romania in 1456, who were once allied with the boyars. The purpose of these impalements was to break the stronghold the Saxons had on trade because not only were these merchants ignoring custom duties, but they were also supporting those trying to steal Vlad's power. So he wanted to get rid of them as well. Ultimately, Vlad's determination to consolidate his power during this period alongside his extreme views of law and order meant that he didn't hesitate to inflict the punishment of impalements on anyone who committed a crime, large or small. It could range from things as small as theft and you would be impaled. So it really, it wasn't so much like only people that were politically involved in trying to take him down. It was anyone in Wallachia that broke the law could face this punishment. I'm not going to get into the details of each battle war that Vlad was involved in, because honestly, it's not totally where my interest lies. I came here for the impaling. But I did want to mention the war that broke out during the winter of 1461 to 1462. And it was between Wallachia and the Ottomans. So during this war, Vlad was badly outnumbered by the Ottomans. Think of him. He only had about 30,000 men. The Ottomans had 250,000. And so knowing that he was at a disadvantage, Vlad used every possible means to gain an advantage including the use of biological warfare. So, you know, sending sick people into Turkish camps. Uh, he would burn villages, poison wells, etc. whatever he could do. But the Ottomans kept on coming closer to Vlad's capital city. And it was at that point that Vlad turned towards psychological warfare, which some would say was really his specialty. So supposedly, as the Sultan marched closer to the capital, he saw his soldiers impaled. So the Sultan's army came across a field with stakes. It was about three kilometers long and one kilometer wide. And there were large stakes on which they could see the impaled bodies of men, women, and children, roughly 20,000 of them. So it's like this entire landscape is filled with people who are like writhing and twitching and slowly dying. That's all that they can see. Naturally, 
This terrified the Ottomans and the Sultan withdrew. Uh, the war didn't quite end there, but that's kind of where the interesting facts stop. But essentially the Sultan was like, I'm not dealing with someone who could do that to people, to his own people or like to, to the Ottomans. I'm not dealing with that. And there are a lot of other variations of Vlad's torture. Supposedly he invited all the poor vagrants beggars and cripples in the region to a feast and once they were finished eating he boarded up the hall and set it on fire with no one being able to escape the flames claiming that now they wouldn't present such a burden to others and that he didn't want anyone to be poor under his leadership. Nowadays, we would say, hey, maybe build some infrastructure to help those people out. But his idea was that to get rid of the poor, you had to kill them. And there are other accounts, as I said, not repeating them. They're very graphic and disturbing. That's not the vibe I want to go with. If you want just a taste of it to see if you want to like research more into it, if he would impale mothers, he would cut off their breasts and stick the child's head through their body so that when they were impaled, it not only killed the mother, but also the child. That's just one of like a bunch of things you can read. Essentially, there isn't any doubt that Vlad doled out his punishments with unusual cruelty. Although there's variations of what actually happened and didn't, it is known that he was very cruel and torturous. So although Vlad only reigned for a total of seven years over the three periods, his reputation throughout Europe was widespread. And supposedly it was German sources that really helped to establish Vlad's reputation and notoriety throughout Europe, beginning as early as 1463. And this was interesting to me because often at times I find with leaders, yeah, they're somewhat famous during their time, but it's really afterwards that in history we project back and they become a little bit more famous. But that's not the case with Vlad. Before he was even finished his final reign, his name was well known. And so this was partially thanks to the invention of the printing press. Several pamphlets began circulating in the late 15th century, sharing horror stories about Vlad the Impaler. And so, yeah, that's how he kind of became known before he even passed away. In terms of personal relationships, the rest of Vlad the Impaler's life is not super well known. Most experts say he was married twice, but others claim he had three wives. Um, he ended up having five children, and apparently he cared for them a lot. Uh, I wasn't super interested in knowing all that nitty gritty, but... Just so you know, he was a family man. And to wind it all up, less than two months into his final reign in 1476, Vlad was killed in battle, but the cause of his death and the location of his remains are both debated. So there you go. There is Vlad the Impaler. Yeah, as I said, there is more details. I just, I'm not super into like detailing every battle or looking at every instance, every graphic instance. That's not really what I'm here for. I just kind of want to provide an overview so that if you ever see things with Vlad the Impaler, you're like, oh, he was the ruler of Wallachia. He was very cruel in his means of torture. Just so that you kind of have an idea. That's what we're going for. So let me ask what Sam would ask at this point. So Maria, what's the significance? Why do we care? And let me tell you, it is difficult to imagine what Romania would have looked like without Vlad the Impaler. And surprisingly to me, he is known to many Romanians as a national hero. So although other European sources really highlighted the cruel side of Vlad's behavior, to put it delicately, in Romanian oral narratives, a very different version of Vlad is presented. 
he was viewed as a prince who repeatedly defended his homeland from the Turks at a time when just about every other principality in the region was subject to Ottoman rule. Vlad was viewed as a leader who successfully maintained law and order during a period of disorder. He became a folk hero who saved his people not only from the invading Ottomans, but also from the treacherous aristocracy as he killed all of those boyars. As for his brutality, his defenders point out that Vlad's actions really weren't more cruel than those of other late medieval or early Renaissance European leaders, including Ivan the Terrible of Russia or Ferdinand of Naples. And I do think that's something important when we talk about him, because to me, I was like, why would the Romanians love this guy? But it is a sign of the times that he wasn't necessarily unique in being very cruel and torturous. Yes, maybe his method of killing by impalement was unique, but in terms of everything else, it's not that he was doing it while everyone else was being lovely to their subjects. So that is something to keep in mind why maybe he's still revered to some people. It's because comparatively, his actions weren't that surprising. So yeah, but I think more the reason beyond his name being Vlad the Impaler and me being instantly drawn to that. In 1897, Bram Stoker published his novel Dracula, who has since become a legendary vampire alongside obviously Edward Cullen. And so this novel inspired countless horror stories, movies, TV shows. And although Dracula is a purely fictional character, Stoker named his infamous character after Vlad the Impaler or Vlad Dracula as we talked about at the beginning. So while the name comes from Vlad, other than having the same name, the two Draculas really don't have much in common. And I think that's important to note. And this is according to historians who have studied the link between Stoker's fictional vampire and Vlad the Impaler. So to show this point and provide maybe a minor geographical note, Bram Stoker's Dracula is linked to Transylvania. But although Vlad was born there, he never owned anything in Transylvania. So even though you have places like Brand Castle, which is a modern day tourist attraction in Transylvania, it's often referred to as Dracula's Castle, the castle was never the residence of Vlad the Impaler. And I read that in one article, and then it, it is confusing these conflicting accounts, because then I was watching a National Geographic video, they're in this castle, and they're like, these are the very halls where Vlad walked. And so I think it's just hard because it's so long ago that you can't always verify the accuracy of whether Vlad lived in that castle or not, like how much time he actually spent there, if any. But you may be wondering, how do we go from a guy who's known as the Impaler to a creature that lives off of drinking human blood? Because Vlad was very cruel. And so it, despite his name being what Dracula is known to us today as, it's also like, well, there seems to be like a like very minor connection between the two. And I think like my answer to that is that although I largely focused today on Vlad's proclivity for impaling, his other forms of torture did sometimes involve boiling humans and feeding them to other people, forcing other people to eat human flesh. So the connection to then drinking human blood is not like wholly unfounded. You know, if you're someone who is here for cannibalism, drinking human blood is not the biggest leap that we're taking. So although it is important to note that however evil Vlad was, nowhere is it stated that he was or believed to have been a vampire. It is his, Bram Stoker took the name, he liked the name of it, that's what worked. And so then people kind of attribute these characteristics you assume of vampires to Vlad. 
but really it, it wasn't a huge historical connection. And so this character created by Bram Stoker, this Dracula, was the catalyst for all other sorts of stories centered around vampires. So in 1922, you have Nosferatu, which was a silent movie, and it was the first movie actually released about Dracula. There's also like Bram Stoker's Dracula released by Francis Ford Coppola in 1992. And how could we even talk about vampires without once again putting in a little slight nod to Twilight that kind of revised vampires into being the sexiest immortal beings possible. Hashtag Team Edward. So yeah, I think that Vlad the Impaler is really known or made an impact to us today because of the slight bit of inspiration he provided for Bram Stoker, who created Dracula and is now kind of seen as one of those quintessential evil monsters, you know? Like for Halloween, you have Frankenstein, werewolf, a ghost, and then you have a vampire, Dracula. So it's kind of become one of those quintessential characters. And Vlad the Impaler is a small connection to that. So there you go, guys. I was thinking that this episode would kind of appeal to those of us who love true crime because I, I listen to true crime podcasts. I watch the documentaries and I was like, oh, Vlad the Impaler. I thought it was going to be kind of um, that sort of vibe of being like an ancient murderer. And he definitely is a murderer, but I was not prepared for the intensity that it was. I kind of thought it would be a couple people here and there and not entire villages. So that's my bad. I'll own that. Um, and anyone who was listening to this, hoping that it would be sort of a true crime version of Eat It Up. I hope this was okay for you and satisfied some of that true crime passion, but it definitely takes it to level 100 over here. So yeah, uh, let's talk about my snack from the Progery. So I do have to say, I have tried the Progery, I think once or twice before. I remember the previous time that I had tried it, I wasn't a huge fan because at the time, they would serve you this cone, this chimney cake, and they still put chocolate chips at the end to prevent the soft serve from leaking out. But the reality is that a soft serve turns into liquid. A couple of chocolate chips are only gonna do so much. And because of the way the cone is built, like you can't, it's not like a waffle clone where you can get like a really tight edge on it. It is sort of this like thicker doughy pastry. So there's only so small you can get at the, at the tip of the cone. And so I remember last time I was eating this, I had ice cream everywhere and i was truly having to like just eat an amount of soft serve that i did not want to eat in like five minutes to prevent it from melting everywhere like i was pushing that down they have since done this brilliant thing of they serve it to you within the cone the soft serve you hold it in a cup and so whatever melts it just lands in this cup and so when i was eating it this time i had no issues whatsoever, thank God. I was very stressed because I was like, oh man, I'm sitting here, I'm talking, I'm eating ice cream and this could go everywhere. But um, in reality, it honestly worked out brilliantly. And that mango syrup that they put inside the cone, phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. So would I go back specifically for it? I don't know that I would. I don't know that I would go out of my way for it just because the soft serve that served is just like vanilla soft serve. You know, it's good. It kind of tastes the equivalent. Like I would compare it to what you get at Costco. It's good. Would I go out of my way for it? Not necessarily. I think if you're someone who happens to be in the arena and you're looking for yummy ice cream, I think the the selling point is that it comes in like this, like almost dough nut cone. So if you're looking for something a little bit different, it's a great option. Uh, my mom and I both got one and I think she's really enjoying hers. So <laughs> I would say if I was back in the area and it was there, I would get it. I don't know that I would drive out specifically for it, though. 
So yeah, I think it goes back on what is the ranking system? There is would not, might, and will. And I think it's, it's a might for this one. And so yeah, I think that is all that I have to talk to you about today. If anyone has anything that they would like me to cover for next week, I would be very glad to do that. Uh, and if you want, reach out to Sam. Wish him luck as he endeavors on his quest, <laughs> as he goes on this quest of his. So yeah, uh, if you aren't already, please uh, follow us, like episodes on Spotify. Uh, if you're able to leave a, um, a review on Apple Podcasts, that helps majorly. Uh, I'm now very proud to say that as soon as you look up Eat It on Apple, we pop up as the first suggestion. And I know that's not really a big thing, but to me, I was very happy with it because before you, have to, you used to have to scroll for ages. So that's kind of the big thing that reviews do is they help us pop up a little bit higher. So if you're able to, that would be lovely. And thanks for joining me. I appreciate you tuning in, even though it's just the sound of my raspy 23-year-old voice. And I will talk to you all next week. Goodbye. <laughs>